it, it's grievous in my spirit that believers, Christian believers in this church, many of us, are still struggling financially. I can do one of two things. I can give you money, which I won't. Um, or I can teach you or remind you, some of you know this principle already, how you can be independent financially from the world system and become dependent financially on God's system. Okay? When people say financial independence, they're talking about independence from everything, and that's not scriptural. We're designed to depend on our creator. The world is teaching us don't depend on creator, don't depend on anybody. And we ended up depending on the worldly system that is so exhausting and so burdensome and so heavy. And it grieves my spirit to see many believers uh, are struggling financially. And, and as a result, they missing a lot, they're missing a lot of opportunities. Uh, for example, missing opportunity in ministries. You know, I, I just uh, spoke to a sister recently, recently been two years ago, and uh, she was so, so, so happy to have found a church and she wanted to get involved and so she started to get involved and, and all of a sudden there are some financial issues and, and so she, she can't come to church anymore because she has to hold down two jobs. And she's always like, Pastor, I'm so sad because I can't serve God. I really want to serve God. But this is, this is a problem. I, I got to take care of it. And as a pastor, of course, I understand that. I say, yeah, absolutely. You just take care of this. Just don't feel guilty. God loves you. And he, he loves you. And he, he, he feels your pain. He feels your struggle. You know, it is a privilege to serve God. It is a privilege to be in the house of God. It's a privilege to come on Sunday because many people can't come on Sunday to worship God. They have to work. And so it's a privilege and my heart goes out to them. And so I have, you know, many people will come to my office and they, they will be sharing about their struggles and, and I just feel them because I was there before. I struggle with my finances in my life. I struggle it and, and uh, even complain to God and, and just get really mad at him. And, and you know, just, just you know, I, I understand that. I, I've gone through those process. And, and not only do we miss opportunity to serve God, many of us miss opportunities in life. Because you, when, you're, when your focus is trying to make ends meet, you will lose opportunities that just fly by you because now you can't see it. Because your heart is burdensome, your mind is chaotic, and, and so it's just there's no peace. And when there's no rest, no peace, you, you can't look, you can't see an opportunity. And so, um, and also when there is a financial problem, there's always, it's, it's tiring, it's very tiring, but also cause tension at home. We all experience tension at home. I, I've visited families, you know, I, I sit down with them and, and just in, within two minutes of a conversation, the husband and wife start going at each other and I would pay attention to the conversation a little bit and usually it comes down to, you know, about, you know, we don't have enough and blah, blah, and, you know, should, you should do more, he should do more. This and so, you know, tension, it's, it's, it's a lot of tension. I, everyone who comes to the premier counseling in my, in my premier counseling, I always tell them there are four things that cause relationships to fall apart and, and, and one of them is, is money. And this has been one of the major cause of relationship not working out at home. 
and causing tension at home. You say, what about other three? Well, you have to get married and I have to give you free counseling. So, you know, there are a lot of details that I don't want to disclose in public. But, you know, one of the things is finance. Finance has caused a lot of turmoil in homes. And if you're the individual say, well, it's not me, good for you. Praise God, because God has a bigger plan for you. And so um, that's the reason why I want to share what I want to share. Now, let me, let me just set this up before I get started, is that whatever I'm going to say about this topic, I need you to know that you cannot buy your salvation. You cannot earn your favor from God. It is all, it's been given to you free and clear. Your standing before God as righteousness, as sons and daughters of God, has nothing to do with what I'm going to share today. Your standing is good. Turn to your neighbor and say, your standing is good. So there's, there's you know, so, so it, it will not affect your standing before God. It will not affect your standing in your redemption and in, in fact, you know, spiritual gifts. You know, in Acts, you know, there's this, there's this magician. He saw such an amazing power that comes out of the apostle. And so he wanted to buy them. And Peter basically said this. I'm paraphrasing it. You and the money can go straight to hell. And he said, oh, don't do that. Don't do pray for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In other words, you cannot buy anointing. By giving more or by doing what I'm going to tell you, it's not going to affect your anointing. This has nothing to do with anointing, okay? And what I'm going to share is with Christian believers. Because Christian believers, you have an inheritance like no others. And one of which is in the area of finances. And I'm going to focus on finances because it is one area that I pray that a year from now, more of us, will be so independently free financially from the world and have learned how to be dependent on the Almighty God. And as you do that, I promise you, I promise you, in fact, I'm going to talk about a contract. I'm going to write a contract with you. See? Hold a horse right there. I promise you, you will be blessed. All your money back, guarantee, and it's true. Now, let's pray together. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide this conversation. Heavenly Father, I ask you, as I submit myself to you, I pray that you will bless the entire congregation that's under the sound of my voice and those who are watching on the Internet. I pray that you'll bless them. And I pray that you anoint their ears to hear your voice, not the voice of this man, but your voice as I become, become the, 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 the mouthpiece for you or the earthen vessel for you to speak your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody agree and say, Amen. Amen. Now I want you to look at the scripture here. If you have a Bible, it's better to have your Bible. But if you don't, just look at the scripture out here. Can you all see this? Is it small? Yeah? Okay, this is a good time to test your eyesight. My wife reminded me yesterday that, you know, the benefits we have, you can get new glasses. You don't have to stay with these old glasses. But I love these glasses. I look so cool in it. Anyways, so, you know, get your eyesight checked, right? Okay, so now, um, geez, now this is another a story um, of, uh, of um, 
of uh, uh, Jesus, how Jesus fed the 5,000, if you want to know, right? I'm going to use this story to launch, okay? So here, Jesus is about to feed the 5,000. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Heard what? Well, really nothing to do with this conversation. You can go home and refer to it later on. But when the crowds heard it that he withdrew, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them. Do you know that every single time before a miracle has happened to any one of us is because Jesus has compassion for us. Jesus has compassion for everyone. He's not here. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. You know, he had compassion. He has great compassion for every one of us. Those of us who succeed well, those of us still trying to succeed, still trying to struggle away, but we want to do well. And he has compassion for you. He doesn't look at you with the critical eyes. He doesn't look at you with the judgmental eyes. All your needs are not shameful before him. I'll repeat that. All your needs are not shameful before him. He knows your needs. He knows your heart. Now verse 15 now. So in other words, miracle happened because of compassion. The sick got healed. And by the way, in this church, we pray for a lot of people who are sick, especially after service. And you know, a lot of times after you pray for a while and nothing happened, we have learned to tolerate it. I want to challenge you not tolerating sickness. And the reason is because if you tolerate sickness, then you've accepted sickness. It's like sin. If you tolerate sin, then you accept sin. Sin and sickness are the same thing. They're just the twins that Jesus came to defeat. And so if you tolerate sickness, you say, Pastor, what, what, what do I do? See, we all hate the fact that we have this tension in our lives of reality and where our faith wants to go. Yes? And we don't like the tension. We, don't, we like everything to be all smooth sailing. But listen to me, men and women of God. It is the calling over our lives. This is how we walk in faith. Is that there is always going to be tension between your faith and reality. Always. I guarantee you that. And the, the, the hero of all in Hebrews is talking about all the heroes of faith hero. They all perished, experiencing amazing signs and wonders, yet have the tension of prayer not yet answer. You have to accept that. That's the faith walk. There are other miracles God is going to bring in your life, all the supernatural. But the key is to trust that he's good. The key is to trust that he's awesome. Doesn't matter what happened, you trust that he's good. And then you keep that tension by his grace. You know, I always ask God, Lord, I, I just tension is too hard for me. And I'll say, God, heal my heart, give me the grace to handle this tension. And then as you become more mature, you're able to handle it. So there's always this tension between faith and reality. And so if you are sick, come out and get prayed for. If you need to get prayed for a thousand times, so be it. Say, God, I still believe. God, I still believe. 
God, I still believe. Amen. So now it was evening and the disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away. Go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. In other words, what do you have? You give them something to eat. You know, in John chapter 6, we talk about it just now. If you pay attention to verse 6 and 7, um, Jesus was actually testing them. Because the word of God says that Jesus already knew what to do. But sometimes he just wants to test your faith. Why? Because he wants your faith to grow. So that you can become stronger. So you can become braver. So they can do greater things for him. And, 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 the, and the writer of John, John himself said, God, Jesus knew what to do. He just wanted to test him. On the, on the other hand, Philip, like all of us, start calculating. He said, you know, with all the money we save out, it wouldn't even be enough to feed them. And yet Jesus said, you give them something to eat. But God, we don't have anything. That's not true, brothers and sisters. You have something. I need you to pay attention to this. You have something. What is it? What do you have? What is it that you have that you're holding on to that you're not giving it away? And the giving away of what you have is the, is the key and the pathway to receive what you need. Not only for you, but your household and beyond, especially beyond your household. And so they said to him, verse 17, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. What do you have? And Jesus is saying to you this morning, bring them to me. Your needs and what you have. You know your, what you have is not going to fill your needs. That's why you're asking for him to help. And what we're expecting is that we, we'll just let God add to what we have. No, he wants to supply all your needs, not some of your needs. If you keep what you have, then you're asking him to supply some of your needs. He's not interested in supplying some of your needs. He's interested in supplying all your needs. Everybody say all your needs. All your needs according to his riches and glory. So if you want to keep some, meaning you are trying to ask him to add to what you have so that he could supply some of your needs and the rest you take care of yourself. Doesn't work that way. It's all your needs. He said, bring them here because that's all they have. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciple gave them to the crowds. And they ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. I always got a problem with this only 5,000 men. And always just discounted women and children. I was like, like, God, I don't understand why. And the other day I was listening to radio. I think I can't remember what channel on radio. I was listening to radio and somebody just explained it. I was so blessed. He said, you know, in my eyes, when a husband and wife got married, it's one in my eye. And that's why I just count one. That's such a cool thing for me. I was like, wow, thank you, Lord. 
Here I thought, you know, you, you just don't, work, don't care about the woman. That's not true. Because in the eyes of God, husband and wife, it's just one. Okay. The question this, for you to, this morning is, what do you have? What do you have? Um, I don't think he mind me using his example. We were sitting and after having a great lunch together, Pastor Phil Munzee and I were having a fellowship. You remember him? Who doesn't remember him anymore? It's like, who is this guy? Never mind. That's not important. The story he tells is important. He said, you know, we were, we're talking. I don't know how it comes about, you know. And all of a sudden he said, you know, the other day I was eating this amazingly awesome apple. It was red. I'm embellishing it now, right? It was red and beautiful. He just said it was a really good apple. And he said, I was enjoying it. Crunchy. It was beautiful. And then I heard the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord said to me, do you like it, Phil? I said, oh, God, I love it. Do you enjoy this? Oh, I enjoy it. Are you blessed that I'm giving you this apple to eat? Oh, God, I'm so thankful. I thank you for the apple, and it's such a blessing to my heart. And I was thinking, okay, where is the story going, right? It's an apple story. And he said, you know, you, you go ahead and eat the whole apple because this is yours. I'm blessing you but you got to save some part of the apple that actually doesn't taste good. It doesn't taste like anything. In fact, it tastes awful. That's the seed. Don't touch the seed. Don't eat it. It's not good for you. If you say, oh, yeah, it makes sense. I don't ever eat the seed. And God said this. This is my point. In every blessing I give you, in the blessing contains both harvest for food and seed to sow. Did you get that? Come on, praise the Lord. That is revelation. Glory to God. In every harvest, in everything that you get from the Lord, not all of them are meant for consumption. Some of them are meant for you to sow for your next season. So don't eat them all. Everybody, you know, and when I was a kid, you know, I, I came from an a, a, a old, you know, a poorer background. You know, didn't understand how to manage money. Every dollar I have is assigned to something else. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. This is to confirm what the Word of God says. Oop, I've been skipping Scripture and haven't given you any Scripture. Sorry. He who supplies seed to the sower, and What? Bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. If you remember the story we just read, every single time when the problem is overwhelming in your life, it's actually an invitation from heaven for you to run to God to give you a miracle for their problem. Most people, when they face problem, they are in panic mode. They start to complain, God, where are you? Why has it happened to me? Blah, 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 and so on and so forth. But it's actually an opportunity from heaven to taste and see if the Lord is good. In fact, you will read great later on as we start looking for principles that God had given you and I the permission to not just believe, but to test. He's in any area of faith, he 
never gave us the permission to test. But in the area of finances, he had given you the permission to test him. Any other area is no can do. You got to walk in faith. But in this area of finances, he had given you and I the right to test him. And so every time when there is an overwhelming purpose, it's time that God wants to increase your faith. He's inviting you to increase your faith. He's inviting you to go to him to ask for miracles. And he's inviting you to practice things that you would normally not practice, but you got to do it by faith to see miracles so that you can grow and become braver. He wants you to be braver before him. Now, amen. That's to, I have, actually I have one, two, three principles I want to share. Actually, I have... 13 principles, so I'm just going to cut down to three because the rest is just investment. And if you have time and I have time, I'll share with you on the side using scripture how to do investment. And, and uh, this is not an investment forum, whatever, but, you know, um, you know, I will share with you how you can, uh, how you can uh, do investment. But um, I want to preach the word of God right now. So there you go, right? Now, the first thing I want to address is tithing. I'm going to touch on this very quickly. Most of you know it, so I'm going to spend two minutes on it. And all I can say is that these are the scriptures that talk about tithing both before the law. So it's not a law thing. So if you say, I'm not under the law, it was done before the law. And it was mentioned during the law. And it was mentioned after the law. So it's this one thing, you know, Jesus, I'm going to say a controversial statement. When Jesus bled and broken his body for you it was he was not talking about your money salvation on the cross has nothing to do with money it has to do with your soul being getting saved being sanctified being renewed and and getting the whole but has nothing to do with money okay when you get saved you didn't become a millionaire overnight are you here so you and I need to be prudent in finances. And this is one of the first principles. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm just going to show you that it is true before, you know, um, after the law is introduced and after the law is being fulfilled. Now, let me say this. If your finances is good and you're such a genius in taking care of your finances, I'm not. You are Warren Buffett in the making, good for you, then you don't need God help to help you in this area. You can just listen to the rest of the sermon as entertainment. It's not the law. It doesn't affect your salvation. It won't affect your standing before God. And you're still love, and you're still awesome. You're still amazing. Yeah? Can I hear an amen? So quiet. Amen. All right, so don't worry. I'm not taking your money. I know. I don't like people to take my money either. Especially, never mind. Now, in the lobby, so let me say this. In the past, when churches challenge us to give, all the risk is on us. I know, I said that where you said before. Believe in God, give, and he will give it back. And so you took a step of faith. If nothing happened, guess what? You have to carry the brunt of all the responsibility. And the money is not there anymore. But I want to tell you, I believe God so much, so much in his word that I have come up with this contract for you. For the people that have never tithed in their life. What does it mean? 10% of your income. 
and you're afraid that it doesn't work because all the risk is on you, I'm going to take that risk out of your hand. Okay? I'm going to take that risk out of your hand. I'm going to guarantee this money-back guarantee contract for you. You've never seen it before. You've probably never heard anything before. This is crazy. And some of you say, are you putting the church at risk? No, because I trust God. In this contract, it's right beside the giving terminal, if you haven't noticed it. This is called the three-month. So if you want to tithe, you say, okay, I heard this tithing a million times. So I'm always afraid. I can't. I'm trying to hold your hand to get you cross over the line so that you can taste and see how good God is. And this is for the people that are still struggling, haven't managed to be consistent and faithful in tithing. I'm offering you this opportunity to walk with you. So I'm offering you this. It says in three months' time, if you are faithful in tithing and nothing happened to your finances, you have a contractual agreement signed by us and you that all your money will be given back to you. Three months' time. So the risk is not on you anymore. Now you just have to... I'm, what we're trying to do is, you know, sometimes, you, you know, uh, you, you have to step over something. You look at it. You look at it. Oh, I don't know. You look at it. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I, I, I don't know. So me as a pastor, my job is to lead you and shepherd you. But what I need to do is I need to go first, right? Why does it sound so funny? I need to go first. And I'm doing that right now. And I tell you, I've done that personally. But you didn't see it because my, 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 my giving is private. So, you know, like all of your giving. But now I'm showing you. I'm saying, give me your hand. Let me show you. Give me your hand. I'm your pastor. I know, I know you're afraid. I've been there before. Take the first step. And let me show you. Now, for those of you who are tithers or whatever, as you can see, there's a terms and condition. You've already done that. You know, you already tasted the goodness of God. You don't need to worry about this. But it's for people that sincerely, sincerely, not playing games, sincerely want to walk in this faith. We'll walk with you. Come on, let's give praise to the Lord. I don't think anybody does that in this city or in this country, but praise the Lord, you know. I want to help you. The key is not so that we can get more money because if that's the case, we wouldn't do this. The key is to help you to succeed. And I want you to succeed. That is a major, this is the basic principle of spiritual uh, finances that are independent of the world system. You can be free. Now you say, oh, pastor, I'm not ready. Don't worry about it. I love you. Your standing is still the same. God still loves you and everything is good. But if you want to walk, I'll help you to walk this faith journey. Let's do it together. Amen? All right. Principle number two, Proverbs 13. This is such a cool one. I've used this all my life. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Another translation say, if money that has come quickly, like jackpot, uh, it will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little, everybody say little by little, will increase it. Now, being in a faith environment, um, there's a lot of abuse about the message of faith. But let me say this. Abuse by others of truth 
will never invalidate the truth. Yes? I know there are people that have abused the truth in the past. But the abusing of the truth does not invalidate the truth. Nonetheless, is still the truth. And so, what we are sharing, yes, I've heard many abuse and I get it. I understand. But it does not invalidate the principle and the truth that's in the Word of God for you. You know, this is an RRSP season, right? Everybody's thinking about saving. Well, this is the opportunity. Now, in a faith culture we're in, and in fact, in, I would say not even faith culture, in, in a, especially American mindset. I love my American friends. But this, this has really, the American mindset that really had affected many of us who are conservative Canadians. We're very conservative. But that mindset, I'm going to tell you what it is, of hitting jackpot, it's always been in the mind of, unfortunately, many believers. Hitting jackpot doesn't mean that you go and play lottery. Hitting jackpot, some people believe that God is going to somehow send some miracle million dollars to their way. I mean, some of them claim it. I believe God is going to give me a million dollars. What they're looking for is a jackpot. Right? It may not sound. The other day I was listening to a, a young man, you know, and uh, he, he, he's, he just believed that, you know, whatever that he's working on, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a breakthrough in his finances and he's going to have a jackpot. And I, I, I tell you, in my heart, I, 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 wouldn't, I didn't say anything to him because he didn't invite me to counsel him, so I would never counsel people that never invite me to counsel. I just give him a mouth shot, right? And in my heart, I was thinking to myself, here you go, looking for jackpot. Forgot about this. You know, this principle, it doesn't matter what your income is, will make you very financially independent. This principle demands that you change your lifestyle and your mindset. This principle says this, every dollar you earn, you put aside some money. You don't spend it. Don't spend them all. In fact, the more you put aside the better. Every dollar you turn. Don't wait for the jackpot. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I'm going to t- the, the next point is actually quite similar to this point, but the fact that a lot of us have been waiting for jackpot, and even when the jackpot comes, we have to actually make up for all the other mistakes we made. Okay, actually, let me, let me go to the next one. Okay, and I'm going to jump back and forth. Number four is um, pay off your debt. Three, sorry, three, yeah, sorry, three. The next thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you are not ever in debt, even in mortgage debt. Now, some people say, you know, it's impossible in this country. Oh, it's possible. I was sharing with, my, uh, with some of the people in the worship team, you know. I say, when I gave up the $200,000 job and decided to work for this small little church, at the time we have 50 people, whatever, and all they could pay me was pittance. That's when I get my mortgage paid off. Come on. That's what miracle is all about. Right? So if your heart have determined that you do not want to owe anybody anything but love. That's what Jesus said. Owe no man anything but love. 
If you set in your mind, set in your heart that you want to be out of debt this year, if you focus on it, because most of the time everybody tells us, yeah, everybody has it, so it's okay. Then you're already setting up yourself for failure. Everybody is doing it doesn't make it right. It's like sin issue. Oh, everybody is doing this. No. We are the club of minority. Remember I talk about that? The things we do are always feel will walk through because narrow is the road. It's harder. Right? But I'll tell you this. Once you are free of debt, friends, oh, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Just imagine just, just think, I just want you to walk with me on this. Just imagine you're out of debt, right? You see, many people are looking for jackpot, back to the jackpot. And because they were just so aim at that jackpot, when they get the jackpot, they wouldn't feel it because now they have to pay all the debt. And they got nothing. Jackpot or not, it still got nothing. I remember when I was working in the secular world, my immediate supervisor, you know, actually, yeah, my email supervisor, she had just built a mansion. They got fountains in front of the house. That's huge, right? And uh, she only made 5% more than I did. I mean, I was pretty senior. She only made 5% more than I did. But she was my supervisor. And so, you know, uh, it's just massive home, massive. And then they were like digging a swimming pool, whatever. It's like, you know, it's, it's like all, his, all her neighbor was millionaire, gazillionaire. I think... I, and so I was like, wow, this is amazing. I should do that. Actually, if she can do it, come on, I can do it, right? Come on, you know. And uh, after Texas, um, income probably about the same, right? And um, one time we were, we were, um, we were having a, um, uh, have a discussion, you know, and during break of our meeting, and, and uh, she was really stressed. And I said, why are you, what, what's going on? And she's like, we ha- we, like, every dollar we make. I don't know why we got so personal. That's crazy. Every dollar I make, it feels like it belongs to somebody else. It goes to somebody. It goes to pay off. Like she never sought my counsel, so I kept quiet. But in my head, I said, well, sell your house. Humble yourself. Go to a smaller place. <laughs> but, oh, she's almighty executive. It's a high-tech company, right? So, you know, you know it's, not, it's not the thing to do, you know. But I want to tell you this. You can live in a mansion and you wake up in the night with cold sweat. It's not heaven. You can have possess all the things in the world, but there's no peace in your heart. It's hard to live. Now, if you're that individual, no condemnation. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm encouraging you to change your thinking. Because at the end of the day, God desires that you live in real freedom. Because when you're free from the burden of finances, you can breathe and you can see opportunities. More importantly, you can now sense the presence of God more ready. You can be more aware of the presence of God because there's no stuff coming at you. You are free in Jesus' name. And he wants you to be free. So even if you have mortgage and it's legitimate in our society, in our culture, we have accepted the fact that mortgage debt is okay. That Yeah, go ahead. Worship team coming out. I'm finishing. I, I still got 10 points, but I don't have time for that. 
So in our society, we've accepted it. But in this church, I'm hoping to change your thinking to say, no, I will not accept this. I want to live in freedom. I'll show you the scripture. Better is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 6. I don't have it up there. Better is one handful with peace than two hands full with a lot of stress and chasing after the wind. So it's better to have less and be at peace than to have lots of stuff and have all the pressure. You know, in the book um, that I just finished writing, 12 chapters, now I'm getting a few more eyeballs to look at it and, uh, before we send it to the type editor. And uh, in the last chapter, I will let you see, I, will, I preached that before, in the last chapter, um, I said, okay, now you are financially, say, just imagine, just picture yourself. Now you are financially free. You have financial independence. And you have all that paid for, go ahead and start playing. You can play, play some really super Holy Spirit music, you know, just <laughs> Holy Spirit, you know. Just, just play, yeah. And um, so, you know, I just run along. Oh, so now you have all the financial peace. What would you do with all the peace you have? And unfortunately for most of us, we've been conditioned in our mind to go for a bigger house, bigger car, bigger something. And we get ourselves back into that cycle. Many of you had already come to a place of financial peace, but because somehow you've been taught improperly that you need bigger stuff. And so you got yourself back in the jam. And God is not here to judge you. Please don't feel condemned. He loves you so much. He wants to get you out of that, that jam and give you peace. First Kings chapter 5, verse 2 to 5. He said, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the warfare, a lot of fighting going on with which the enemy surrounded him until the Lord put them under the sole of his feet but now the Lord my God has given me rest everybody say God has given me rest what do we do now that God has given me rest on every side God is going to give you rest on every side your finances your relationship whatever struggle you have you're going to come to the place of <sighs> if you observe the principle I just share with you when you have rest, now God has given me everything. There is neither adverse, advers, adversary nor misfortune. Wow, what a good place to be. And so this is what he intended to do. Instead of a bigger car, bigger home, I intended to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David my father, your son whom I was sitting on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. Watch this. Every time when you come to the place of abundance and rest, the temptation for all of us is to go and hook ourselves onto something bigger and put ourselves back to a gym and struggle and struggle and struggle. God wants to bless you. He will add to you all that you have. Not, 
not, not just give you marginal, add to you. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. The rest will be added. What is it? Whatever you have now, he's going to add to you. You don't have to add it yourself and put yourself in a financial stress. He will add to it. Trust him. It may not be your timing. It will be his timing. But what do you do with the rest? And in my book, I said this. Take your freedom to build a legacy for the glory of God. In those days, it was the temple. We don't, we don't have temple necessary. And I'm not big in this building project thing. You know, as an investor, I always look at opportunity costs. That's an economic term. Is that you get a big place, you spend millions of dollars on it, and then what? Most of the time, the place is stay not being used. Now, even the banks some 20 years ago or 15 years ago, they sold all their buildings and leased them back because they say, we're not real estate expert. We don't know how to make money off real estate. So they sold it all and then buy it back and lease it back because they can use the money to do something else better. And I say, I'm a preacher. I'm not a real estate person. So I'm not going to get involved in real estate because it's a lot of headache. There are many other opportunities that we can invest in better things. So fielding is not necessarily our thing in this house. But spend your strength. Spend your resources. Listen to the voice of God. To invest for the legacy, not of you, but the glory of God. And what, you know what God did to him after he built the temple? He became famous. People started pouring money to him so much so that silver was worthless in his days. Wow. Have you ever bought silver on the market? It ain't cheap. See, the blessing of God is not a marginal blessing. In other words, you're like, oh, I have $10 and oh, tomorrow I have $11. Ooh, praise the Lord. No. The God you and I serve, He is an extravagant God. Everything that He's going to do on your behalf is going to wow you. It causes you, whoa. The problem with most of us is that we can't even take the first step. We're too worried. Lord, I don't think I can walk on water. And he is saying to Peter, as he's saying to you today, come. And the rest of us go, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like that. I'm a chicken. I'm too super chicken. You know, God has to really train me to be brave. In many things. In the old days, some of the things I experienced today in my life, I was scared to, I'll be scared to death. I'd be like, oh, why? But after you've gone through a few rounds, you go, he'd make me brave. I have known his faithfulness and his goodness that he would never fail me. Coming from a person to have tasted and see God is good, I'll tell you, I guarantee you, he won't fail you. 